This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Welcome back to Anchored in Christ. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Soul Searching, based on John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping, right here. Uh, I'm Deborah Owen, and I'm here with Pastor Sarah Singleton. Now, Sarah, here we are at episode eight of the podcast series. It's sermon number seven, and it's actually the first sermon that you're not only writing, but you're finally <laughs> preaching <That's> yourself, <laughs> um, which is why we were doing all of these introductions, at least for this first series, is so that people could hear your voice. Um, one can hardly miss the fact that in some divinely coincidental way, you had planned to preach this topic on this Sunday, which happened to be Palm Sunday of 2019, months in advance. And here you were, both having just experienced a challenging time personally and talking about it in your sermon. What was going through your head now that you were finally able to preach the message after two extended hospital stays, no voice, and severe life-threatening asthma? Thank you for asking. Um, well, it was a dark night of the soul for Jesus. And um, the question in his mind um, was something that we all can relate to. And I thank you for asking about the illness and how that impacted me, but it really wasn't a dark night of the soul okay. for me to be so ill. Mm-hmm. I have had two other times in my life which were much, much darker. They were not related to health, Mm -hmm. but they were related to the experience of God being uncharacteristically, seemingly uninvolved and unconcerned and really unavailable. Mm -hmm. Jesus in Gethsemane had that experience Mm -hmm. and so that's what this sermon is about what is the dark night of the soul and then um what to do what to do okay well it's not uncommon for people to go through a challenging time usually it's a major loss of some sort um and they and we can feel abandoned by god as you were just describing they may have begun with a sense of relationship with god but that but life's challenges become almost too challenging. And so they fall away from God because of, they think that God's fallen away from them. And so they either maintain the relationship in a, with an apparently silent God and they keep trying to find God and it feels like the prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, or they just walk away. And um, either of these descriptions, I think, can be the dark night of the soul, I think. Um, do you have? Am I on the right track here? Mm-hmm. Well, dark night of the soul is when it, this is a soul conversation. Yeah. So it's, it has to do with not just my life as it has been is no longer working, mm. but my relationship with God is not, is not uh, having any sort of benefit to me. I'm mm. not receiving what I have been trusting I would receive relate relationship or answers to my prayer or a sense of God's for me and that intimacy of God and that cheerleader God coming through it's not happening what do I do in a time when I'm sensing abandonment Mm, mm, okay Um, 
What is it? What what kind of comfort is it to know about Jesus's struggle, as you described, when he had a challenging time? What what do we learn from that? Well, in the sermon, I just do speak about the fact that he did say, "My Father." If it be thy will, please take this cup from me. And I think one of the things we learn is to express that it is not being a Christian, a good Christian to be stoic. Mm. It's not in the Bible to be stoic. It is is like Job um, remonstrating against God or demanding God or, or, or challenging. Or Jesus, as we see, saying, this is not my will. I'm telling you. Please take this from me. Mm -hmm. So again, how freeing that is Mm -hmm. for us to throw ourselves on the floor, throw ourselves before the throne of mercy and to say, I don't want this or I want this, Mm -hmm. not that. Mm -hmm. And know that that is how we're taught to be with God. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that Jesus teaches us to always end with, not my will, but thine be done. Because he knew he was the son, and because our faith teaches us that we have been adopted, and that we have the, uh, uh, the, the label, the identity mm-hmm. of sons and daughters of the living God, that we have the same um, relationship of the beloved children of God, so that we say, but not my will, mm. but yours, Father, be done, because I belong to you, and you do not abandon your own. Mm. That's really powerful. Um, so if somebody's going through their own dark night of the soul, what's their first step? Well, you feel it. Yeah. You, you speak it. Yeah. You make it into a prayer. You remember who God is, and it, uh, if we were going to say, what do we do, um, I, would, I would go back to the Psalms, which have that word, remember. Mm. Why are you cast down on my soul? Remember. And we remember uh, that, that, that he will give to us the joy of our salvation. Um, um, each new morning, there's the there is the, the steadfast love of the Lord which never ceases. And I think that the story of Gethsemane that led to the cross that doesn't end at the cross, but that leads to the resurrection, the ascension, the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. That becomes what we remember. Mm-hmm. So uh, is God for us? Yes. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also with us give us all things? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Hmm. So remember. And with that, let's go to the sermon. Now, Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 32. It's our next to the last in our series of soul searching. And if you've missed any and want to hear them, they are online at our website, oldsouth.nbt.org. We are on page 45. We're going to look at the dark night of the soul. 
Hope versus despair. Hear the word of the Lord. They went to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, and he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. The word of the Lord. You may know them. Some people who have ice in their veins. While others, at a critical moment, just cave in under pressure. In sports, you call it a case of the yips. Now, our grandson, five-year-old Hunter, loves basketball. He's turned our entire den into a basketball gymnasium with a Fisher-Price goal at one end, and he gets by the TV and makes the big shot for three points. So, obviously, last week we were watching the NCAA finals, the women's, Baylor against Notre Dame, and you may know, If you watched it, 3.9 seconds left. Baylor, up by two points, foul the star player of Notre Dame, Ariki Ogobowale. All she had to do at the foul line was to get get two free throws, tie the game, go into overtime. What did she do? She missed the first basket. She looks to her coach, who signals, who signals intentionally hit the rim to try to get the rebound. What does she do? She makes the basket. The buzzer goes off. Baylor wins, and Notre Dame is defeated. The star player, what happened? Did she get the yips? All right. Years ago, Jim and I were working in Glacier National Park, Montana, at Mini Glacier Hotel. On our day off, we would go up on hikes, and sometimes we would climb mountains. Towards the end of the summer, we were strong enough to climb Mount Gould. It's the most photographed mountain or scene in Glacier National Park. 9.5 thousand feet, sheer cliff on the east. We climbed from the west, and in the last 100 feet, you have to go up a chimney, a natural rock chute. Use your body to wedge yourself up. If you lose your balance, well, too bad for you. So we were climbing up, and we were with a fellow named Steve, medical student, Georgetown University Medical School. He got into the chute, and then he turned white, and he started pouring out sweat. He got a case of the yips. And if you want to know, he did not fall. We helped him up. We all made it back safely. 
Now, I just have to ask you, is Jesus getting a case of the yips in the Garden of Gethsemane? This is a critical moment. What we find in Mark's Gospel and in Psalm 22 is not a case of the yips, but dark night of the soul and the dark night of the soul for Jesus and for us. And we'll look at Jesus' response to God in this dark night and how we can respond. And we will look at the reason Jesus experienced the dark night of the soul and the reason we may as well. So in your scripture, verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Now Gethsemane is a garden plot on Mount of Olives. There's a valley, Kidron Valley, and here's Mount Zion with Jerusalem built all around. He took with him Peter, James, and John. He began to be distressed and agitated. Now, English translation just doesn't do service to these words. I get distressed and agitated if a plane is delayed, and it means I'm going to miss the connection. Do we hear an amen? This is a bigger word, distressed. It means to be seized by terror, struck, alarmed. It would be like being in Lee County, Alabama last month and seeing a mile-wide tornado that is coming like a freight train, barreling your way. Jesus is struck with terror, agitated. That word is heavy with anguish, being overwhelmed like you're going to fall down with anguish. The life force is drained away. The life force is drained away. Verse 34, Jesus says, I'm deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. Jesus is so overwhelmed that he actually feels like he's getting to the point of death. Now, death? This is the exact opposite of the life of God flowing through him, the connection that he has with God. But whatever Jesus was experiencing, he said had the potential to separate him from God. Verse 35. Going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Again, in the original, this is an imperfect tense. That means it's repeated. Jesus is stumbling and falling, stumbling and falling repeatedly and repeatedly calling out, please, please, spare me. This is the echo that we hear from Psalm 22, verse 1. Why have you forsaken me? That's the cry of an orphan. Why have you forsaken me? This is the experience of the dark night of the soul. God seems unavailable and silent in the midst of affliction and really dislocation. 
Perhaps you have experienced the dark night of the soul. Jennifer Rothschild, when she was a girl, was captivated by colors. She would get the largest possible Crayola box and study in Burgundy. Her dream was to be a commercial artist. When she was 12, Jennifer began having difficulties with her sight, like getting the combination on her locker right, or reading the chalkboard, or seeing the softball thrown on the field. She felt so clumsy. Jennifer didn't realize that she couldn't see what other people could. And by ninth grade, her eyesight worsened. Her parents were told they needed to take her to an eye hospital. She had no idea what she was about to hear. The doctors discovered that she had retinitis pigmentosa. It meant her retinas were deteriorating. The prognosis was total blindness. Jennifer doesn't recall everything she heard that day, but she does remember the word blindness, a word she never expected to hear. Expected to hear. She became silent on that long trip back to her hometown in total shock. Her mind was racing. Am I ever going to drive a car? No. I'm never actually going to be an artist. I wonder if I'm even going to complete high school, let alone go off on my own to college. Jennifer entered at that moment the dark night of the soul, a place that goes beyond depression or negative feelings. It is a void where you feel the absence of God. It's as though you are abandoned by God. Have you experienced this? Some go into a dark night of the soul when they lose a spouse or spouse or another family member, or receiving a diagnosis of no cure, or losing some dream that kept you going for years. Whatever the circumstances, God is uncharacteristically unconcerned, uninvolved, unavailable. Psalm 22, verse 2. Oh my God, I cry to you. By day you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. That's the experience. Dark night of the soul. Our second point. Jesus' response to God in the dark night and hours. Verse 36. He said, Abba, Father, for you, all things are possible. Remove this cup from it, but what you want. There are three things I want you to notice. Jesus made his request known. Jesus knows the character of God, and Jesus submits to the Father's will. First, Jesus made his request known. He told God what he wanted. He spelled it out. Let this hour pass from me. Remove this cup from me. Philippians 4, 6 teaches us to do the same. Let your requests be made known to God. 
Jesus does not act like a cool-headed mystic, calmly resigned to his fate. Does this surprise you? He struggles with God. He demonstrates to us that we can make our desires known and pray for the Father's will. Jesus' struggle is so intense that in Luke, it says that his sweat became like great drops of blood. Hebrews, that letter towards the end of the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 15, tells us, For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning. If Jesus never felt what it was like to have his own will, like to have his own will, an opposing will, he could not sympathize with any of us because we, we so frequently find ourselves unwilling to submit our will to God's. I was 38 years old, having a son that, at 25, adopting a daughter at age 29. But Jim and I were in a renaissance in our relationship. And we really wanted another child. But we couldn't. I had had an ectopic pregnancy. I had had a tumor. I could not have our own without help from medicine. So we were attempting to be parents again through in vitro with our own. It was our last attempt. It was the last day before I went to Seattle for the transfer of our babies. And I rode a bike up to the top of a mountain and looked over at the Rocky Mountains. And I prayed with all my heart, Lord, you know how much I want to be a mother again. I want so much to be a mother again of a baby. But not my will, but yours. But I want you to know, I really do, and I just, just so you know, I just but not my will, yours. But do you really get it? I wrestled with God to make sure that God knew in his book, this is what I really, really, really want. But I don't want my will more than yours. And my, my bargain was, if it's not your will for me to be a mother, to be a mother again, though you've led us down this path, let me be a spiritual mother the spiritual children who will come to faith in you. What about you? Do you know that you can make your requests known to God, looking to God who struggled with God's will yet without sin? The second thing is that God's character is known by Jesus. God is personal. God is able. Jesus calls him Father by calling him Abba the equivalent of daddy or papa. Ever since I was an exchange student in Brazil, I called God Papa. It's an address that is used for God by Jesus, but it's not found in Jewish prayers. It demonstrates an intimacy. God 
is the father, papa, daddy. Jesus knows this, and he knows that God can do anything. He is able. What about you? Do you know that those who have put their trust, their trust in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, seeking him to be Lord, have been adopted by God, and now you are the child of God. And then when God looks at you, he sees Jesus clothing you with his righteousness. You can ask your papa. It's intimate. God, with God nothing is impossible. And thirdly, Jesus submits to the will of the Father. Not what I want, but what you want. So often is our prayer, thy will be changed. Do I hear an amen? What if we make our request known and God's will is not changed? Well, what then? Oh, we can go into despair. It happens whenever we interpret our suffering as senseless, having no meaning. It's when we look at life and we see it out of control. God cannot or will not care for his people. People who are in despair look for ways to amuse or abuse themselves till death. They live in despair, whereas we are called to live in hope. Hope comes we are called to live in hope. Hope comes when we submit our will to God. Remember Jennifer Rothschild, the teenager who went blind. She began to play the piano by ear. She played a hymn that she'd only played before by sight reading. The music filled her living room, and as it did, it began to fill her heart. The hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Though she remained blind and her circumstances were not well, Jennifer shares that God made it well with her soul. I quote her directly. She writes, one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn is that God uses painful circumstances in our lives for good, for good. My hero, Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been in a wheelchair since she was a teenager, makes this point well when she says that God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. I know that God's heart is broken when he sees our hearts break. I'm convinced that God is well acquainted with the sorrow and struggles that I experience. Yet at the same time, he loves me enough, this is why I'm so loyal to him, to let me encounter sorrow, taste bitter emotions, and feel loss. He trusts me to be a good steward of that sorrow. He loves me enough to let me experience that pain so that he can accomplish loves, 
which is for me to have a deeper character and more eternal perspective. God has allowed me to live with blindness, yet live with the sufficiency of his grace, that grace that shows up in different ways on different days. She is now a singer, songwriter, and author with a profound ministry to many. In the dark night of the soul, we can despair in our disbelief or live in hope because we submit to God's goodwill and unchanging love for us. Let me give you a big caveat, though. This is a big one. A week and a half ago, I was at a workshop for domestic violence. And I heard a survivor share this, a Christian woman who is part of the Hagar's sister ministry on the North Shore. The same as compliance. Submission requires the exercise of our free will. People in abusive relationships are not free to exercise their will. People who are verbally or physically or sexually abused learn to be compliant in order to survive. Submission is not the same as giving up or giving in in compliance. Submission means being free to choose what God wants because we are loved by God. And that brings us to our final point. The reason Jesus entered the dark night of the soul, and the reason we do as well, for Jesus, we want to look at verse 23. Remain here and keep awake. Well, that's what I should say to you every Sunday morning when I preach. But it's not keep awake, awake. It's watch. Keep watch. That's what it is in every other translation and every other time you see the word in the New Testament. It's the same word Moses gives to the people of Israel on the night of Passover when the angel of death is passing over and they put the blood on the lintel of the doorpost. And he says, keep watch because God is going to deliver you tonight. Jesus says the same thing to the disciples. Keep watch. Something big is about to happen. That's what's going to happen. That very night... God is acting to save his people. And when Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, the occupying Roman army was not struck down, but the shepherd of the sheep was. Jesus, our shepherd, opened the way for us to be saved. Jesus was overwhelmed at the point of death, not because he was going to die, but because he was going to die, but because he was going to be taking on identification with the whole sin of the world. And God's judgment against sin had to be expressed. Jesus submits for our sake because he trusts the Father to raise him, because he trusts the love of God. Jesus was abandoned by God for that moment, but we will never, ever be abandoned. God is not absent to us. He's only hidden. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you know that in Psalm 22, that begins with the orphan's cry, why have you forsaken me? You know how it ends? In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it says this. It is finished. It's triumphant. As German theologian Jürgen Moltz, God weeps with us 
so that one day we may laugh with him. I didn't get pregnant when I was 38. But five years ago, a three-week-old boy came into my home. And when he was two years old, I became his permanent guardian, our grandson. I have so much joy. Why do we go through the dark night of the soul? It's God-initiated. It's because he loves us. In the words of Johnny Erickson Tata, God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. John of the Cross, I mentioned him at the beginning. He's the one that came up with that phrase, dark night of the soul. He concludes that God's love is not content to leave us in our weakness. No soul will ever grow deep in the spiritual life. God works passively in that soul by the means of the dark night. Why the dark night of the soul? Because God loves you. And he knows what you need. He's a good shepherd. Let us pray. Lord, we're not used to being loved like that. But help us to look at Gethsemane and the cross so that we may believe it. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.